0: peace and blessings everyone i'm aziza and welcome to episode number four of unraveling the truth with dr omar zaid i just want to give a quick disclaimer before we get started with tonight's topic this is for information and to use that information to develop understanding this is not to sensationalize anything or for entertainment so with that dr omar salam alaykum
1: well, like Masalaam, sister. It's a real pleasure uh, to be with you again. And I'm very Lord. pleased uh, for the opportunity to uh, share what I think I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I think that's the best we can do. You know, right. Uh, but yeah you say you you know when you you're having a conversation with somebody and you're you're on a serious topic, and then you turn to them and you say, Well, what do you think <laughs> <laughs> so uh that's what you're doing you're saying, you're asking me what do I think uh, about you know whatever it is and so alhamdulillah here here we are with the opportunity to to do this yet again for the benefit of your listeners. And may it please Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, to grant us his refuge and guidance in this hour or so.
0: I mean, Dr. Omar, can I start off with a question?
1: Sure. Because it's,
0: it's come up since we spoke last time. OK. Especially concerning tonight's topic, which is the mysteries, the ancient mysteries. So. Yes what is the importance of this? Quran and Sunnah should be number one. So why is is this important? Why are we even going to talk about this tonight?
1: Why, okay. Yeah, so that's a good question because um, it makes the Quran and the Sunnah relevant, okay? And that's what's missing in the Islamic education the Islamic educational system is pretty, it's pretty good at um, developing uh, uh, character and moral traits and uh, religious behavior, all of this, uh, uh, um, uh, all of the ritual. But uh, there's a certain lack of relevance, you see. And unless you have a history that is complete, um, the relevance is, is lost. Okay. For example, if we look at the history of America, everybody knows that George Washington crossed the Delaware river on Christmas and, uh, you know, surprised the British, but what they don't know is that the British Freemasons had already agreed to lose the war. You see, <laughs> and so we're treating Washington as if he's some great hero, when all the while the British could have crushed him at any moment. At any given moment, they could have crushed him. There was no uh, heroic uh, um, thing to it at all. So the myth is a false sense of reality and it gives you a false sense of security. And the myth is only relevant to the lie, you see. So when you have the full picture, you have the true relevance, the true history. And then it makes your position as a worshiper of Allah uh, more relevant. It confirms your position and it creates greater strength and greater confidence, you see. And this is why, this is why uh, another example. And this is what led to this question today the mystery religion is the letter that we, we discussed that the prophet wrote to the King of Persia. And uh, this reality was confirmed later by uh, uh, Imam Bukhari, who said that nations fall because of the sins of the Magi, the betrayal of the lovers, and the lying of the initiates, you see. So I just gave you one example of the lying of the initiates that has to do with the Revolutionary War. And so the fact that the nation is falling today, America is falling, has everything to do with that lie because that lie was there at the foundation, you see. And the Freemasons have been guiding the country all this time. And they have led it to this particular moment. They have done it, you see, because they are your leaders and they're part of the secret occult society that nobody wants to really talk about consequently in the forums, in the universities, in the lectures that are given online and elsewhere, that say that they are relevant—it's <laughs> taboo. The American Historical Society will not touch the subject. It's taboo, you see, and that's because the cult—the cult of Iblis controls them from behind the doors. And this is what we're calling the deep state. You see, but it's much more than a deep state. There are some people are trying to pretend that the deep state is uh, just a bunch of mm, bad old boys, you know, sitting in the back room, smoking their cigars and making all these selfish plans because they've got these permanent seats as bureaucrats. No, 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 no. It's much more than that. And it's far more ancient, you see. And if you don't understand this ancient story, you can't really fully appreciate what Imran Hussein calls Islamic eschatology or the Christian eschatology. Any of it. You can't fully comprehend it because you're not being relevant. You're... Zeitgeist, your worldview becomes irrelevant and relevant only to the lie, only to the myths, not to the reality. And if you're not oriented to the reality, you cannot serve Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mm. because you're acting in ignorance. And ignorance serves eblis. So when you're acting in ignorance and you're serving evil, you cannot establish the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Allah. And this is what Jesus prophet Isa said was coming. He said, behold, the kingdom of God is at the door. Wait, he's coming. Ahmad is coming. He made this announcement public to all of Israel at the time, the public speech. All of the elders were gathered because they wanted to hear this miraculous young man who had more wisdom than any of them or all of them combined. Nobody could understand them and he told them clearly. And he said, the kingdom of God is within you and Ahmad is coming to establish it on earth. And this was the fulfillment of the promise that Allah made to uh, Ibrahim. It's a fulfillment that uh, uh, everybody was expecting, uh, the Jews in, in particular now, are expecting Messiah to do. It's already been done. The problem is that people have lost relevance. And because they've lost relevance, they've lost the proper orientation to man's history in the earth and to the history of evil in the earth. You see, psychiatrists are now trying to say, well, evil doesn't exist. You know, we've got some maniacs out there. They're touched in the head and whatnot. And uh, uh, they're, you know, but evil doesn't exist. Well, that's, that's Satan's game. That is the game of evil. He doesn't exist. See? And then he sits back there <laughs> and he smiles. He says, I told you, Lord, I told you Allah that they were stupid, that they were fools. Yeah. So that's why, sister, that's why I do what I do because it, it completes the relevance. It completes one's understanding so that when you stand up for the truth, you know exactly who the enemy is, and you make no mistake about it. There's no mistaking who the enemy is when you have this kind of knowledge, when you have this kind of understanding. If you don't, <laughs> then you, you get all dressed up for war and you kill the wrong people. SubhanAllah. Yeah. Um, Um, uh, There was one uh, American intellectual I'm blocking on his name Ezra pound was his name. He said, the trouble with war is we never kill the right people. That's that's true. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what happens, you see, all of those millions, they wound up killing each other when they should have killed their leaders. Hmm. You see. so. Um if you don't have this knowledge, you're irrelevant as far as the kingdom of God is concerned. And it doesn't, again, you've heard me say this phrase before, it doesn't matter how many beads you count, how many prayers you make, it doesn't matter. Because you're ignorant and you're acting in ignorance. And you're bragging about your relationship to God in ignorance. Look at all these Muslims getting ready to take this vaccine.
0: Yeah.
1: See how ignorant they are. They have no idea who the enemy is or how the enemy works. This is the art of war. You have to understand your enemy. You have to. And if you don't understand your enemy, you will kill the wrong people. When it comes time, when push comes to shove. And the enemy understands this. And he is pushing and he's shoving people because he loves to see people kill the wrong people. (laughs) And especially if those wrong people happen to be his enemies, you see. So our alim are a bit like that. 27-year-old boy I told you about. is not ready yet. He hasn't matured. They're not ready to do what they say they can do. Otherwise, the Ummah would not be in its present situation. Its leaders are spiritually, metaphysically, and intellectually, emotionally incompetent. I mean, when's the last time you saw somebody of the stature of Omar Mukhtar or Salahuddin? When is the last time you saw anyone of that stature in a position of authority within the Ummah? You won't. You don't see them anymore.
0: You won't see it. They would be terrorists.
1: It's, they're they're gone, sister. So anyway, that's why I do what I do. And that's why the uh, information Uh, that the the knowledge that I give is um, important because it's relevant. I've talked to a lot of students and they, they have always come back to this one point, this point of relevance. You know, they ask the question, well, why? Why? And that's what you've just asked me, why? It's a very important question. Okay, sister, I think I've answered that one, at least the best I can at the moment. <laughs>
0: yes, you did. Can we start from the beginning?
1: Yes, go right ahead.
0: Can we just start with how this, you know, kicked off?
1: Oh, how you mean? uh Oh dear, sister, or,
0: or wherever you want to take it. Let, let's let's do that well, do, you, you, do want you have to take
1: any? It. Do you have any other specific questions that uh, people have put forward?
0: Um, not at the moment. That one I really just wanted to get out of the way because it was bothering me.
1: <laughs> okay, it was bothering you. Okay, so yes. is it out of the way?
0: It is, Alhamdulillah. Thank you.
1: <laughs> alhamdulillah. Okay. So, um, where to start? Well. When you're telling the story, there's always this, you know, this leading phrase, once upon a time. Uh, You see, because that's what it is. It's a story. It's the story of humankind and our relationship with our creator. And uh, on uh, specifically on Earth, there's a relationship we had with our creator that preceded uh, the Earth. But we know very little about that there's some things that we know Uh, we know that every human being alive took a pledge before incarnating in their earthly life and that pledge included the acknowledgement that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was god almighty and that everyone acknowledged this everyone acknowledged that they owed their life their existence to him and him alone, okay? So that's where we'll start. We'll start there. Then we go back to the garden, whatever this garden was, because nobody really knows. There's a lot of conjecture. There's a lot of imagery. There's a lot of um, myth that is not a lie, but have been twisted into lies, okay? Um, there is a, a stream of knowledge which, are, which is called the Arcana and the Arcana uh, date back to the oral traditions that preceded the art of writing were handed from father to son and mother to daughter generation after generation after generation. And this is called the real Kabbalah in the Jewish tradition. It's called the, the, the true oral tradition or the book of Adam uh, that then became the book of uh, Abraham. And, and these books cannot be found because they were never written down, okay? Uh, they were handed by tradition. And some mystics m- managed to get bits and pieces and, and put the, put things together so that we have some understanding of a key uh the key to the imagery of the scripture okay and if you have that key then it unlocks meaning it unlocks relevance to the scripture so that when you look at the 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 story of genesis you can see certain things that absolutely make no sense until you have that key okay now I'll give you one example. There's um, a passage in the scripture that talks about creation. And there are two creations which are described in Genesis. And uh, the one it talks about the seven days. And it talks about a sequence of events. And it talks about uh, the greater light and the lesser light. Okay. And then if you take the Judeo-Christian tradition, everyone understands that to be the sun and the moon. Well, this is not true, you see, it's just not true because the translations are not true to the original meanings, especially to the original root words in what what we know of the ancient Hebrew. And what's actually written is the significant light and the insignificant light. If you, uh, those are the, cl- those, those the closest uh, English words. Well, you can say that's the sun and the moon, if you like. It's the same light, isn't it? I mean, the sun reflects off the moon's surface and we see it here on earth. And the sun is certainly more significant than the moon But in reality, what we're talking about are two streams, two zeitgeists. Okay, one is true. And one is untrue, you see. And, you know, there's this wonderful uh, phrase in there says, well, and Allah uh, hovered before the surface of the deep. Well, the surface hovered before the waters. And darkness was over the surface of the deep. Well, darkness is ignorance. Darkness can also be lies because they're equivalent. Okay. Uh, In a certain sense. Uh, So if you follow a lie, you're going to fall in the ditch. If you're ignorant of the ditch, you're still going to fall into it. So in that sense, it's an equivalent state. But if if there's no darkness, if the darkness has been removed, then you will see where you're going you see so darkness is actually the covering of the truth it's the covering of the light okay so you if you don't if you don't have this arcana if you don't have this understanding of the imagery and there's many many forms of the imagery okay in the scriptures and that same imagery can has transferred over to the Quran because the Quran came came to complete what came before. So it's a continuum, you see. And if you just start with the Quran and you leave your foundation at the Quran, it's insufficient. Now I'm not saying it's not it's metaphysically insufficient. No, that's not, you know, if you follow everything in the Quran, as the Quran says, of course, you're you will, by Allah's mercy, be more likely to get your position in jana. That's I'm not arguing with that. But if you want to establish the kingdom, you have to know more than what is in the Quran. And you ha- And to know that, you have to understand what came before. And not only do you have to understand what came before, you have to understand the ground upon which you live. The mud, the clay out of which you are made. Well, the medical doctor thinks they understand this mud and the clay, but they don't because they don't understand the dynamism that goes behind it. They don't understand the electromagnetic frequencies at the root of the subatomic level. These vibrations that cannot be denied, they cause complementary reactions that are led by photons, by bosons, by light. That's covered. They're working in darkness. When they approach the body, they approach this mud, this clay, out of chemical knowledge, they're only clapping with one hand, the material hand not the metaphysical or spiritual hand, the dynamic hand that holds the knowledge of the significant light. Okay, am I, am I making this clear? Yeah, it's, it's complicated, but it's not. But if you don't use the right language and if you don't understand the arcana of the imagery, you can't understand these things. But yet you'll stand up on the stage and pretend that you do. You see? I mean, if you you sit down with a Christian minister, one of these grand charismatics, and sit him down with someone like me, he will be confounded within 10 minutes. I will confound him. And then his jaw will drop, even if he doesn't show it, his jaw will drop and he will realize that he's an ignoramus. You see? And he's leading his people like a bunch of lemmings right off the cliff. That's what ignoramuses do. That's what they do. And that's what the Ummah is is doing right now. That's what the leaders of the Ummah are doing now. You see? So this the mystery religions have everything to do with the darkness that covered the surface of the deep things of god you see they cover the light they prevent the light either from entering or exiting you see we have light in the heart it's there from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we call it fitra Okay, But the mystery religion initiates, they do everything to do everything they can to oppress this feature, to prevent it from coming out. And they also do everything they can to prevent the knowledge, the true knowledge of the true mysteries of God from entering the brain, the mind. So they control the mind. This is why they want to control the mind. So they suppress the heart and they control the mind. That's what they do. And they use mass psychology to do it. And they've done this from from the beginning. We can say from the first one to organize this in the Holocene period which is after the last ice age, this is what we can consider pretty much the historical period. If you accept scripture as sort of pseudo history, okay? Um, Because we go back to Genesis and I say, well, there's two creations there. There's one that describes uh, the original creation and there's a recreation. And the one that people refer to is the recreation, and that is the uh, the time that uh, Homo sapiens arrived on the Earth. There were previous civilizations that we know of, but we cannot cannot describe them because we don't know enough of them. And if we enter into those sort of Atlantean civilizations, if you will, uh, the one that Plato mentioned, its reality, it existed and it was pre ice age. Okay. And the Quran makes references to these things, not just to the uh, civilizations in, of you know, prophethood and Ludd and whatnot. Um, there are other references, OK? And these are prehistoric. We don't know what came before. So there was a recreation. And this recreation is covered over by their lies. And the first person to begin this covering was Kabil. I cannot trace it any further back than that. I trace the history back to historically to Dravidia. And then from there you have to join the science to the scripture. And when you join the science to the scripture, you come up with Kabil being cast out of the garden, cast out of the civilized uh, world at the time, which was his family, the Adamic family, the Adamic people, whoever they were, we don't really know. It's all conjecture, you see. So we know from the, the stylistic story that's told in both uh, old testament and in the quran that kabil was cast out that he had this um, confrontation with his brother and then he also had this confrontation with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that he left and was cursed so in order to understand the mystery religions you have to understand everything i just said up to this point and now You have to understand this curse. Well, what is this curse? The Quran doesn't say much about it. But Musa says quite a lot about it in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. And when Kabil refused to submit to Allah, When Kabir refused to say sorry, I was wrong. Please forgive me. Allah turned his back on him and he set some conditions to this separation. The earth was cursed for Kabir. It would no longer produce for him directly. If he touched the earth, it would die. It would it would refuse to grow anything for him personally men would fear him and Allah would no longer speak to him no more guidance okay and so this is a pretty sig- specific curse and it, I, I I don't want to prolong the the the, the this part of it but I I'll just say this, that this is enough to make Kabil the first king of the earth. The first king of the pirates. Because if the earth is not going to produce for him, he has to steal everything that he needs to survive for him and his people. I mean, that's just the way of it. Now, after a while your arm gets tired, you know, wielding that sword. You get tired of slashing and cutting and all the blood and whatnot. And uh, you start to use this brain and you become a bit more cunning. And the best of my knowledge, Cain or Kabil, the one that Christians call Cain, was the first one to organize religion into this mystery religion uh, uh, concept. And this happened in the ancient Hindu Valley in the land that is now Pakistan. And this happened to the Dravidian people. They had uh, a couple of different kinds of settlements. One was in the ancient Hindus, along the ancient Hindus uh, Valley, the river there coming down from the the great mountains, and also a few other places in southern India, but mostly in Dravidia. And um, these pre-Dravidian people—they were—they were savages. They were cannibals. They ate their victims, and they—they—they would—they um, they would, they would um, take the victim's tongue and make a necklace out of it. And hang it around the neck because they they were taking the power of their uh, enemies and they would take their spirit of the enemy with them so that this tongue would speak to them and tell them where the next enemy was so they can also conquer him. So this was a very savage society and this was their this was their way of life and some of their people actually, Still live today, and they are still cannibals. You know? um, so uh, these people um, were organized by Cain. He took their savage, uh, primitive savagery, their primitive spirituality, and he turned it into an organized mystery religion. And he devoted them to the first mother goddess. Because they already had this ancient idea of a, a goddess and fertility rituals and whatnot. Now you've all seen those uh, those uh, those ancient statues of the the fat lady with the big pendulous breasts and the big buttocks and thighs. You know these little rock uh, uh, sculptures. Well, that lady was their mother goddess, but uh, Kabil organized their religion. Uh, in such a way that it became Shaktism. And uh, this was the first organized uh, uh, of the ancient mystery religions that we know of. OK. Now, there, there may have been others that were more organized in some different ways that we do. But we don't have any details on them. For example, in Turkey now, we, there's this place called Gublekli uh that's far older than Dravidia and uh, uh, may even precede what we consider to be the uh, uh, the Egyptian civilization. But this civilization I'm talking about here that established the first organized mystery religion system uh, dates back to about 8000 BC. and The pre-Dravidian culture may go back a little bit further, and some say that it comes up to about 6,000 BC. The dates are questionable, okay? Uh, But we know that there was a a a linear uh, progression of this religion that was exported from Dravidia to Mesopotamia. These ancient peoples were much more sophisticated than we give them credit for. For example, the first uh, brass, uh, uh, the first brass um, uh, jewelry is found in Iran, okay, 9,000 B.C., 9,000 B.C., brass, okay. So there are a lot of things that we don't know that are yet to be found out. And so I'm trying to give you a, um, a picture of a linear progression to the best of my knowledge, OK? Uh, my knowledge is certainly not complete. But uh, no one has done this. No one has looked at the origins of the mystery religions. Everybody, the white man always wants to start in Greece, you see. <laughs> and these Gravidians, by the way, have no genetic uh, relationship with the African people. They're completely different. They do have a genetic relationship with the cannibals who invested Australia 40,000 years ago. Okay, And there were other peoples in Australia that the Dravidian stream ate. (laughs) Okay, And they didn't stop eating other people until the British arrived about 300 years ago okay Mm -hmm. so um yeah you can you can get very romantic about the the aussie aboriginal but you also have to balance that with some of the reality okay and that's one of them so the aussie al aboriginal is now a, a a combination because you know they they may have ate most of the men, but they kept the women, didn't they? <laughs> mm. Sure, they did. And so you have a mixed gene pool. You've got a forty thousand year old mixed gene pool of the same people that established the first mystery religion in the Dravidian, uh, the Hindu river valley. Okay, now we know that this um, religious system was exported to ancient Akkad, what became the origins of Mesopotamia and Babylonia uh, and that entire region. And this mystery religion uh, then spread. So it spread from the Hindu Valley. No doubt it made its way into China and had had its forms there as well and beyond. And other parts of India, uh, so, but I'm concerning myself with the western stream, the stream that went, that stream, the stream that went back west. You see, Kabil was cast east into the land of Nod, into the land of wandering. Okay, and he was made a vagabond in the earth. Well, that's a tiresome life. Uh, You can ask the gypsies, they they pretend that they still enjoy it, and to a certain extent they do, and the gypsies originate in this region, you see, the real gypsies originate in this region, and some of them became Jews over a period of time, or Jewified in their mysticism, but this mysticism is all the same, you see, The, the palm reading and all these things that are forbidden, the gypsies are very good at it, you see, they're also uh very good at uh pretending that they're good at it <laughs> you see so yeah i mean you have your genuine mystic who's on the left-hand path and you have your magician who's just pretending you see your trickster your cunning artist they both exist and um, so anyway this system was exported now what was this system? This system had a mother goddess uh, who was the fertility symbol. Okay, She was the Earth, uh, who had to be renewed every springtime uh, after this long winter. And the renewal required bloodshed. And um, so this means human sacrifice, and since those pre-Dravidians were already accustomed to human sacrifice. I mean, they just did it as a matter of uh, course, you see, whenever they were too drunk or lazy to go out, go out and hunt, they just killed somebody and ate them. (laughs) You invite somebody for dinner and then you eat them, you see. Um, uh, That's it's a very convenient. It's a lazy man's way uh, to wealth, Okay. And and that's where we get the zombie culture now that's being poured on because it's the same spirit. Everybody's eating everybody else. You see, and um, this is where it starts, dear sister. This is same spirit. It's the same spirit. It's just a different manifestation. It's just it's a different manifestation. Okay, so. You had this mother goddess. You have the human sacrifice, and you have the priest, the high priest, and uh, who decides who gets sacrificed? You see, (laughs) he makes the decision. So you know, once a year, whatever it was, like even in the druid camp, they'd all get together and say, "Oh, I wonder who it's going to be." (laughs) So everybody stands there, and they're kind of you know (laughs) biting their teeth and saying. And then it, they, they're not chosen then they go oh gosh i'm good for another year
0: <laughs> Hunger <laughs> games.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a hunger game uh that's what it is and this is the root of christianity you know it's that's what it is you, you have a scapegoat who's sacrificially offered up to god so the earth can renew itself and uh, reproduce uh the good fruit so and this brings me back to the, to the garden and the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see, because that's what this tree is. That's what the mystery religion is. It is a tree that produces both good and evil fruit. I mean, the evil fruit here, think about it, is the human sacrifice and the people who are submitting to this. This is not submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the good fruit is the stimulation or the pretense of the stimulation of the uh, reproductive forces in the earth that produce the agricultural produce that everybody can enjoy. So it's an organized system that honors the earth's fitra and attributes it to this goddess. Okay, does that make sense? Yes, sir, it does. OK, so that's what it is. It's pure idolatry. Cain had to live, Kabil had to live by means of idolatry. OK. And, uh, and they used the idolatry to get these slaves to produce for him and his people. So he became the elite. OK, he became the, the polished liars. The politicians, the kings, the queens, the dukes, and whatever they are. Um, and so, this is the false system. This is the darkness over the surface of the deep things of God. Okay, the darkness over the surface of the truth. So, they use the lie and cover the truth, and they oppress the people with fear. Oh. Oh, my God, I hope it's not me. <laughs> you know, so um, and, you know, I, I understand that Christians have this wonderful feeling about uh, Jesus. And they're, they're greatly relieved to, to think that he died for their sins and all of that stuff. But actually, what they're doing is saying, I'm glad he did it. <laughs> Boy, I could never do that. I would never want to do that, you see. (laughs) So uh, it's foolishness. Uh, But because it has been attached uh, with such reverence and for so long a period of time, uh, it has become the established religion of the mystery religion system. Now, there are many different expressions expressions of the same system, you see. You have the mother goddess. You have the well, you have the God, you see, uh, God is somewhere out there. He's gone. He's kind of left uh, the high priest and the mother goddess in charge, you see, because he's too busy. Maybe he's off uh, creating another universe. you see This is deism. This is what uh, the founders of the American Constitution, this is what they believed, okay? okay. God left us in charge. He's too busy. We have to do everything, okay? OK? So we're going to have to organize everything and write everything down, OK? So we got to get this Constitution right, da 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 da, da, da. Leave no stone unturned. And um, so like a bunch of busy beavers, they built this dam called, <laughs> called uh, America, OK? And why they built it, they killed everybody that didn't agree with them. Or they enslaved everybody that didn't agree with the, the skin color that they preferred. Okay. Uh, you know, well, that's just, oh, sorry. That's manifest destiny, isn't it? <laughs> 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 yeah. uh, that's another another form of the same religion, okay. It's still plunder, it's still piracy. That's why I say Cain was the first king of the pirates. And over the last 10,000 years, this system of piracy has become very sophisticated and never before in the history of the earth has it been as sophisticated and all encompassing global-wise as it is today. So with that as an introduction, I'll leave it at that because there's much more to it, of course, but I'm sure maybe I've stirred up some questions for you or your, your listeners. So let's, let's, let's have at them.
0: Okay. First question, where comes the free will of the normal sinful man If we are all under the influence of occultic magic. Wouldn't the theory of uh, Dr. Omar just give us an excuse to put our sins on our leaders or the people on the top who are part of these secret
1: societies. Uh, Well, you could do that if you were a coward. That's what cowards do. You say, oh, I was just obeying orders. It's not my fault. Uh, that's that's a very very uh, simple uh uh objection to, to 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 counter because that's what people do you remember the safety net i talked about mm-hmm. in our second uh, uh, do. uh yeah they go for the safety net so safety they obey, <laughs> yeah they they go for the safety net that's offered by the priest the high priest of this system Instead of the safety net that is offered uh, uh, forever by Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, so these people do not die before they die, okay. And they surrender their will. See, there, you you have two masters. You you either follow the system of Kabir, who is being avi- advised by Iblis. Kabir is not following Iblis. When Iblis is advising him. So Iblis is the whisperer. So the, the people of Kabil, these false leaders, they are following their own will. And Iblis is just giving them ideas as how best to do it. Yeah? And that's why the, the, the Quran says uh, on the Day of Judgment, Iblis is going to say, no, it's not my fault. you just did what you wanted to (laughs) I didn't tell you to do that (laughs) you did what you wanted you see and so and there is a certain element of truth here with the um, aspect of um, demonized offspring because uh, these are bloodlines that can be traced back at least to ancient Persia Uh, you have the the family is called like, oh, oh, my God, I'm going to step on some toes with this one. The Komeni family. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. But it's spelled differently. You see, they changed the spelling to hide themselves. K-O-M-E-N-E. I don't know what it is in the ancient Persian, but the Komeni family and a few others, these are ancient Persian families of the black hand of the left hand pack. And they're still operating and they're still in charge. Okay. And they haven't stayed in Persia. They went west as well. <laughs> you see. So these families are demonized. They have demonized offspring because of the rituals that they do. So they give birth to children who are already possessed. And then they raise these children in a certain way in order to manage them for the sake of their plunder kingdom. OK, and uh, it's like that. You, 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 you almost never see these people. And these are people that stand behind the Rothschilds, OK? The Rothschilds are new money. They're not old money in this sense, in this term, OK? So when people are submitting to this system, they are submitting to this these people. And the safety net that they offer in the earth. They are not submitting to the kingdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they have abandoned the sunnah. And the sunnah is the establishment of justice. Okay? And you remember what I taught you about justice. Without justice, anybody can enter the house. Okay? And that is what has happened to Darul Islam. It has been infiltrated for centuries with these magi, with these evil-handed, evil-minded people. And what they do is they, um, one of the part of the mindset here of the mind control is to get people to be preoccupied with ritual, okay? Whether it's Islamic ritual, so-called Islamic ritual, or the ritual of the ballpark, (laughs) you know, the football game. It doesn't matter. It's still ritual. And there's still that great moment of silence in the Western ritual, isn't there? You know, have the Star-Spangled Banner, and then there's this moment of silence. And whenever some big uh, uh, galoot gets up there or some fancy modern-day Shakti gets up there and starts shaking her shaktiness, you see? (laughs) Um, <laughs> Shakira, you know, you you understand. Uh, they, after they make their announcements and get everybody's attention, there's this moment of silence. And that moment of silence comes straight out of the synagogue of Satan. It comes straight out of the Jewish synagogue. Okay. And in that moment of silence, is anyone talking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Unlikely. Unlikely. Okay. So When you're submitted to that system, okay, you have no excuse. You have no excuse. And you're pretending that it's all moral and it's all good. And that's what they want you to do, okay, uh, in order to continue the plunder game. It's the plunder, now it's the plunder hunger game, because that's the next step in the application of this. reset. The hunger game is coming, it's just around the corner. Okay, so in attempting to answer that question further, no, I'm not making excuses with this mystery religion system. This is the way it is. And as I said, you're either serving Allah or you're serving the system. And it's very clear right now that almost everyone in the Ummah is serving this system, which means that the, the Ummah is deluding itself because its leaders are deluded and they're deluded out of ignorance because they didn't know what came before and they don't understand how this system works. And what's more, what's worse, is that they're applying this system to their own people by getting them to be preoccupied with religious ritual rather than truth. I'm talking about truth of the moment, the truth that gets done what needs to be done in order to establish and maintain dominion. Okay? Mm -hmm. They're not doing that. They're making sure everybody goes to the mosque or prays five times a day, okay? And God help you if you don't, because if I find out you don't pray five times a day, you're not going to have a word to say edgewise in any of our dialogue. So sit down. doesn't matter how much I know. And by God, if you can't speak Arabic, what the hell do you know, Dr. Omar? What the hell do you know? (laughs) Please. Stop with this nonsense. Because that's not Islam. That's Arabian culture. Okay. And that's chauvinism. Islam is for everybody. It's for everybody. And your prayers. Your prayers are best said in your own tongue. Are they not? How many people do you know pray in Arabic but don't understand what they're praying? They don't understand what they're saying. They go pray five times a day, but they have no idea what they've just said, what they've just recited. None. I've met hundreds of such people. This is what I'm talking about. This is a preoccupation with religious ritual and a religious mindset. And it prevents people from obtaining the correct knowledge that is needed to maintain dominion. And you can only maintain dominion when you maintain light, the true light, the significant light. All right, you got me sister. I got you. Mm. So that's where we're at. I'm not saying that you. Let's go back to someone like Omar Mukhtar, my hero, (laughs) the hero of my life, okay? (laughs) I took his name, Omar. I took Zaid because he helped to preserve the Quran and he was a slave who refused to be liberated. (laughs) So um, that's why I took my name, okay? uh when I converted. We go to Omar Mukhtar and we see a man who is humble, who is a man's man, and yet he sits on the the ground teaching the children the basic fundamentals. Now one of the one of the lovely scenes I, I, I remember from the movie that was made uh The Lion of the Desert was the opening scene where he was sitting on the ground teaching a group of children, a group of boys. And they were not learning Arabic. They were learning mathematics, you see. And um, uh, that's when one of the messengers uh, wrote up to him and uh, uh, said, uh, the Italians have arrived and they've just invaded. And so he excused himself from the children. He turned around. He picked up his rifle (laughs) and he got on his horse and he rode off to war. Here was a man who understood the moment. Here was a man who understood knowledge. Here was a man who understood what he prayed. And here was a man who understood what he must do. We don't have uh, men like that. And if they are, they're very few and far between. And most of the men who hear me speaking are going to be insulted by what I've just said. Well, there's this old saying, (laughs) American saying. (laughs) I think it's American. If the shoe fits, wear it, sucker. because that's what the situation is. And you see, I don't pull any punches, okay? Um, some of my students like to call me a warrior. And I'm probably too old and infirm now to do that. But my tongue is still works and my mind still works. And um, so in answer to your question, most of the, the probably the person who ans- asked that question would not have followed Omar Mukhtar, you see, mm-hmm. would have opted with his uh, family who opted for the Italian safety net because that's what the Italians were offering. And half the family, you see, uh, sided with the Italians with the takeover. And they submitted, and that's still at the root of the libyan problem to this day that family division between the real prince of islam omar Mukhtar, and his uh, brothers and cousins who didn't agree with his um, tactic didn't agree with standing up for the kingdom of allah you see because what was taking place there was that the the Sanusi tribe were doing the true renewal. Now, renewal is a slow process. It takes time, and if you do it carefully, it takes three generations. I think they were into their second generation when Iblis, the people of the Freemasons in Europe and beyond, decided to snuff him out. Because they had already decided that Islam had to be destroyed and that any siasi dunia, peace and security, asa amongst the Muslims had to be destroyed. Any unity had to be destroyed. You see? And the Sanusis were one of the last bastions of this unity. Okay in that part of the world, okay? The Arabs had already submitted. The Arabs had already submitted to the lies of the British and had been submitted to the lies of the British for the better part of 200 years by then, okay? British British spies had infiltrated them. They had established the the Muslim Brotherhood. They had established the the Salafis, through their Freemason, Freemason, uh, Freemasonic leaders. You know, most Muslims don't know this. Most, they have no idea what this history is. They actually think they're relevant, you see. <laughs> well, they're relevant, but not on the right-hand path. Their relevance has everything to do with the left-hand path. Because instead of following the British Freemasons and the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt, they should have been helping the Sunnusis. If the Muslim Brotherhood had joined hands with the Sunnusis in Libya, they would have chased the Italians out. And the British would have had to rethink everything. Their Muslim Brotherhoods may actually have woken up. If they had direct contact with men like Omar Mukhtar, but they chose their safety net. You see, they chose their safety net, and I don't care how much people want to admire this fellow called Kutub. Uh, Kutub, he was the uh, Syed Kutub the. He was the ideologue for the Muslim Brotherhood at the time. I don't care how much they want to follow him. He caused division. And he was out of order. Some of his ideas were okay. But he did not support the Sanusis. He did not run to help them. When they were being oppressed. The British were not oppressing the Egyptians. They were just robbing and stealing from them. The British agreed with the Italians to invade and oppress and murder the Libyans. The two Freemasonic lodges made these decisions, you see. And what did the Muslim Brotherhood do? Well, they, they gave some supplies. They even sent some arms some food. But then when Graziani put up this 50 mile or 150 mile long wall of barbed wire, they stopped. Oh my God, it's barbed wire up there. We can't cross that. (laughs) What kind of man is going to say that? No, a warrior will find a way. A warrior who defends The will and the kingdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will find a way. They didn't, they gave up, they stopped. And that's when Omar Mukhtar began to lose ground. You see, so it's very easy to divide the Ummah and defeat them because of this kind of a mindset, you see. And this mindset is incomplete. It doesn't understand the enemy. It really doesn't understand the enemy. It thinks it does. And because it thinks it does, this is what we call compounded ignorance. These are people who are ignorant and don't know that they're ignorant. (laughs) You see? And um, when you have a society filled with such people, you know, there's not much hope. Not much hope, sister. So I'm sorry to mm, be saying things like that. But this is the reality. It's better to deal with the reality, you see, than to run off following some sort of an illusion or delusion. Because dealing with reality is what helps you to meet the moment of death. You see? That's, That's... that's the reason why I'm helping people to die honestly, in the true light, <laughs> not, in, not, in, the signif- not in, the, in the significant light, not in the insignificant light. That's why I do what I do because the, the death is inevitable. Uh, there's, there's no victory to be had here uh, unless it's true that Mahadi and Isa are coming back, and there's this sort of thing going to be had. But, and I realize that uh, there are certain hadith and uh, Islam triumphs in the end, but not with the kind of people that I'm talking about that I've just described. These will not be part of the triumph. They're going to go over the cliff with all the other lemmings, right into the lizard hole. You see, so the point here is to die honestly and bravely and courageously, knowing that you've done your best, knowing that you've done your best, not just believing that you've done your best. Because believing is, is, is believing in something that you don't know. But knowing something is a different matter the whole different set of heart control over the mind. A whole different set, an entirely different set of courage. It's directed courage. It does not kill the innocent. And when it comes time to die, it dies bravely. And in God's grace. That's why I do what I do. And I don't think you hear other people talking like this. The imams certainly don't talk like this, because they haven't got the depth of understanding. They cannot reach into the deep things of God. They think they can, but they're not really doing it, you see. Allah has blessed me with some capacity to do this, which is why you're listening to me so intensely, you see. It's not because I'm anybody special. It's only because I've been appointed to do this until I die. (laughs) So I hope that answers that question, dear sister. (laughs) (laughs)
0: it was very thorough so the next question how do we cleanse out the corrupt and jesuit leaders from the muslim Ummah to restore allah's laws or is this not possible knowing so many muslims are attached to these famous imams and sheikhs
1: oh dear uh you can't clean them out it's too late you just have to turn your back on them uh, I've been advising uh, some of my students and others who have asked me this question: question, you know, what to do now, especially with imams who want us to take this vaccine. And I said, look, um, there's an example in the Sunnah. You just turn your back on them, okay? You just turn your back on them because they are no longer following uh, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, and they are no longer capable of guiding you in the correct way. So you just stop. You stop going to their mosque. You stop going to the Joma. You stop attending their discourses, you see. Um, There are certain institutions that only entertain uh, perennialist activity. (laughs) And these perennialists are the same ones who are talking endlessly about the Islamization of knowledge, but they never do it. You see, what I'm doing here with you is I am Islamizing the knowledge that they don't have. You see, they never do it. They only talk about it. And when it comes down to uh, Islamizing something. What they do is they add more ritual. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they do not add more knowledge. They add more ritual, and so it becomes ritual to attend a certain lecture at a certain time for university students. And this lecture is going to be on ikla, or you know how to pray, or how to become a good Muslim. It, it's not going to have anything to do with what we're just what we've just discussed. So what what they do. is they they apply an abstract concept, and then they take it and further make it abstract, further remove it from relevance, you see? And they think they've Islamized something. (laughs) No. Islamization is uh, taking science and uh, uh, applying it to something like marriage, you see? So uh, we take the, the coupling between husband and wife. It's not just a joining of the genitals. It's not just a joining of uh, uh, two lives uh, together in some sort of a sort of pseudo business agreement. It's literally the, the joining of two metaphysical streams of life of this significant light. And if it's not done correctly, It streams the wrong kind of light, it attracts the wrong kind of light, or it cannot incorporate the correct kind of light. And I'm talking down to the subatomic level to the complementarity that allows these electromagnetic uh, vibrations and fields of magnetism to actually exude an aura of grace and beauty and peace and growth and development and a true advancement you see when's the last time you've saw you've seen that in a marriage <laughs> rarely rarely you see so this complementarity goes down to the subatomic level and where is that subatomic level well that's where the seen becomes the unseen that's where the scene that's where the unseen meets the scene that's where we invaginate the life forces that replicate our body moment by moment replace all our cells every seven years every cell in the body is replaced, renewed reborn every cell Where does that power, where does that force come from? It comes from the unseen. And there's a scientific approach to the unseen. And this scientific approach to the unseen is the Islamization of knowledge. They're not doing this. They're still forcing marriages. They're still signing off on marriages where there's no love. (laughs) This is not Islam. They're still preventing women from divorcing. Only the man can divorce. For God's sake, what is this? You remember the the woman who ran from the prophet when he begged her not to divorce (laughs) so-and-so? She wasn't going to listen to him. She knew that she was not joined to this man by God Almighty. The prophet didn't know. Oh, Omar. Oh, Dr. Omar. Yes, I'm sorry. There's some things the prophet did not know. There's some things he did not understand. And that was one of them. She divorced her husband. She didn't need his permission. <laughs> was she judged for that? Was she stoned? I don't think so. Is that the Sunnah? Yes, it is. So where is the Islamization of this? Doesn't exist. Let's not talk about it. Doesn't fit our paradigm, our chauvinist paradigm, where we are the boss and you women have to do what we tell you to do. You see, that's the Islam that they want everybody to accept. It's not my Islam, okay? That's not the prophet's Islam. That's a whole new, it's not even Islam. It's something that pretends to be Islam. Oh my God, am I going to get in trouble for this? Yeah. You bet. (laughs) You bet. Okay? But. I'm trying to impress upon you that there's a realm of science that has not been Islamized. And this is one of them. Okay, We now understand the relationship at the Neo, I'm talking neophysics now. We now understand what these relationships are, these tensile vibrational, uh, this tensile vibrational complementarity that yields formative forces that actually form the physical substance. We now are beginning to understand this and it all has to do with significant light, not the insignificant light. And what I've just described with respect to this chauvinist attitude, that is darkness covering the surface of the deep things of God. And they call it Islam. Oh, my God. May Allah have mercy on me and grant me his refuge, because I know there's a whole bunch of people going to want to kill me, because I've just said that. You ready for the next question? Yeah, we better move on. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So
0: knowing these elites utilize blood transfusions and organ harvesting in the name of prolonged life and longevity on this earth, is it permissible for one to use donor organs or does that go against a Los Pontales Decree?
1: Well, there are, this is not something I've considered in depth. So I have to just uh, speak off the cuff here. And there are situations that are life-threatening, which I believe have been approved by well-informed Shura, um, and that there have been uh, fatwas uh, to this extent, which allow it. OK, it, the, 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 the point here is intent. And if your intent is to preserve someone's life, Uh, then I I think that this is not necessarily haram, okay? And if the life is really in danger and really in threat and there is the opportunity to preserve it, uh, then I think it is certainly permissible, okay? What's not permissible is to use these treatments as a form of long-term intervention, for example. Uh, and uh, that's what vaccines are, for example. Uh, vaccines are not curative. They're not medicine. They are impositions. They are interventions. And they all contain uh, all sorts of contaminants from uh, what is normally considered haram, including the fetal cells. and other tissues, from other animals, which have probably not been sacrificed in a a righteous way. Okay. Now, when you have done these things, these kinds of intervention, what happens is that you you invite, if you have not done them uh, in the name of Allah, uh, then you're inviting further demonization at certain levels of existence, because uh, uh, the jinn are attracted to these um, haram uh, components and they're attracted to haram practices and uh, they accompany them and some of the jinn actually help to to guide these things uh, with their superior intelligence uh, for example you have certain geniuses who think they have their own genius when in fact it is a jinn that is advising them that's whispering to them Uh, It's called a muse in classical literature, not necessarily angelic, okay? So that's my initial response to that, okay? Um, You you have the Jehovah's Witnesses and they refuse uh, blood transfusions. And I think that on the basis of that refusal uh, I don't think anybody has the right to intervene in their, uh, in their principles, okay? So that if somebody's going to lose their life because they don't get a blood transfusion, well, that's up to them, okay? Let them make that decision and let Allah uh, subhanahu wa ta'ala be their judge in the next life, okay? We, we, we don't need to judge them in this life in order, in order to prevent that. And uh, for Muslims, I, I, I think it's the same. I mean, for example, if I want to commit a minor sin, it's nobody's business, okay? And uh, so I just go, go about and do it. And uh, then I'm, when I'm in a better mood, in uh, a better frame of mind and spirit, I can uh, repent for that thing, and it's a private matter between Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala and myself, and no one need to know about that. And even with major sins, that is possible. For example, the woman who came to the Prophet, who had, and she confessed adultery to him three times, and forced him to murder her, okay, to put her to death. He begged her not to, didn't he? Well, the principle there is that even that major sin is between the woman and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the alim don't need to get mixed up in it. Okay. So there are principles of the sunnah that override uh, what some might consider to be uh, illegalism and fixed and absolute Okay, Islam makes life easy. So whatever the easiest path is, that's the path that we should take, not the path that leads to hell. I'm talking the path that leads to the continuation of life and not the path that leads to a continuation of this sense of um, Mm. uh, oppression and imprisonment and uh, a lack of uh, freedom you see, so I think there's an element of freedom of choice here that should be exercised.
0: So, As-salamu Dr. Zaid.
1: Mualaikum wa-salam, sister. Nice <laughs> to see you again.
0: <laughs> it's good to see you as well. So in lieu of as far as, you know, the vaccination, it sounds like it's going to be somewhat of a forced thing as far as, like you said, your um, your freedom. Yeah. And of course, yeah. we kind of know it's taken years to come up with a vaccination. Of course, they came up with it overnight. And I'm just wondering, how they are they going to get to the point where everyone is going to have to take it or, of course, it's worldwide? You know, what do you think is going to be their course of action
1: as far as to get
0: everyone to take that vaccination?
1: Some governments are going to force it. Other governments are going to allow the corporate system to enforce it vicariously. What I mean by that is that uh, it's already been announced in the uh, Knesset, for example, in Israel by their medical minister, their minister of medicine, uh, health, uh, just announced last week that uh, no, we don't have a law here that allows us to uh, force people to take this vaccine. However, our airlines and our uh, businesses will refuse to serve people who have not taken the vaccine and do not have a vaccine certificate. So this is, a, this is the, going to be their tactic. And there's also another thing that will happen, uh, will be the, uh, uh they will fool people into taking it, who are sitting on the fence and skeptical still. They will fool them by giving a placebo to a certain group of prominent individuals. And then this group will, everyone will watch this group for a month or so and say, look, they're fine. Nothing happened to them, okay? And then everyone will say, okay, well, if nothing happened to them, the vaccine's okay. Let's go get it. That's when they'll pull out the real vaccine, you see. They have these things. Stockpile. This is not a, a new manufacturing process. This this whole thing has been in the works for years. It it hasn't just happened these past uh, uh, ten months or so since the onset of the so-called COVID COVID nineteen uh, dilemma and crisis. No, this has been planned for years. These vaccines have been planned for years, and various forms of them have already been used in uh, animal uh, studies and in those animal studies for example uh, the animals initially did well uh, but when they experienced the real virus under natural circumstances they all died Mm. (laughs) because as a result of the exposure to the vaccine because the vaccine caused them to overreact and kill themselves Okay, with an autoimmune response when they encountered the real virus. Now, there's another thing. There are so many unknowns about this vaccine that um, I'm digressing from your question. But uh, what, what will happen, sister, is that the corporations will cooperate with the deep state, Okay, not the official government. The politicians will get off the hook and they'll say, look, we're not ordering this. We can't force you to take it. But the deep state and the big corporations who own everything, okay, uh, including the banking sector, uh, uh, will refuse to allow you to buy or sell or to go and come. That's just the way it's going to happen. Okay. So, did that answer your question, sister?
0: Yes. I was thinking basically you're going to walk around, carry something just like a license. Yeah. <laughs> like you need a license to drive. Mm. This be a license to move about.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, it it will come to that, and there, what they will do is they will they will they will form certain areas of the country of the city that are called like they called in um, uh, in um, uh, uh, what was it Iraq the the green zone. Okay, so they're going to make green zones. And the only way you're going to be able to get into these green zones is if you have the certification. And the certification can be, it's going to be biometric. It may initially be some sort of a card, but it mm-hmm. will eventually become biometric. Because biometric is where they're going. Biometric uh, 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 Biometrics are part of the transhumanism uh, scheme. And this transhumanism is a way in which to infest everybody with the gin, uh and to repress vitra, and to control uh, the thinking and even to the point of uh, erasing somebody if they if they decide not to cooperate anymore or <laughs> if they become troublesome okay because then these biometrics will allow someone sit behind a desk at a computer top to just uh, type in a few directives and push a button and that person will drop dead or they will die slowly over a period of a week or so and the uh, problem is solved because that's what the kingdom of iblis does uh this is what Eblis, this is what isa said when he was talking about them he said that uh, uh, he was talking to the leaders the religious leaders of the jews at the day and he said you are of your father Iblis, Shaitan, a murderer from the beginning. And he even mentioned Kabil. He mentioned Cain. You're a murderer from the beginning because that's what Mm -hmm. these people do. They murder and they mass murder and they think nothing of it because their frontal lobes have been, been, um, how shall I say, Um, depressed. They they no longer have a conscious. And they also, (laughs) they're they're psychopaths. They no longer uh, consider long-term consequences. And of course here, the longest term consequence is the hereafter. And they have a delusion about this. And I've listened to some of them. I sat at table with some of them. And I've heard them say they'd rather rule in hell with Satan, you know, you know, so they're demented in that sense. They're, they have a spiritual illusion. This is called a strong delusion. Uh, and uh, Allah subhanahu uh, wa ta'ala said so in both the uh, uh, the Quran and in the Old Testament, that he will give these people over to these strong delusions and let them destroy themselves and they will destroy anyone who follows them okay Mm -hmm. so that's what we're that's what we're we're confronted with with this vaccine dear sister and they will force it they will enforce it one way or another Mm -hmm. thank you you're welcome next question
0: why are they so obsessed with space travel
1: uh escapism it's another, it's another one of these strong delusions, you see. Uh, we are to the best that I can understand it and understand life. And what um, Hadrat Sulubin called the scheme of things." Uh, the scheme of things does not permit us longevity on any other place other than Earth in this body, okay. So that if we go to another planet, we are not suited for that environment. And extraordinary uh, steps have to be taken in order to mimic uh, the terrestrial environment on Earth. I mean all of it, including gravity and, you know, uh, atmospheric pressure and all of the elements and food and everything okay now none of this people who've been in space for any length of time come back healthy they all come back with some sort of deficit okay and now this deficit they're beginning to discover that <laughs> as I said just a few moments ago to you that this deficit, Leads from the scene to the unseen, and they're noticing certain uh, certain defects in the actual mitochondria of every cell, and these defects make it impossible for any longevity in space, okay the women, for example, come back infertile <laughs> they it so uh over a long period of time, if yeah, if you want to, you can certainly go go to Mars and um probably have a you can probably get enough money together. Elon Musk and others have enough money to, to, to consider this. You could probably go to Mars and establish some sort of an environment there that allows people to initially live but there will be no second generation they will not thrive and over a period of time they will weaken and die they will not be able to multiply okay they'll have to every time they turn around they'll have to come up with another artificial solution to a real life problem all the solutions to our problems on earth are already here, including the cure for diseases, which they're ignoring. Okay, Besides, as I, I told you a few days ago, or was I talking to Sheikh Bailaf about this? Um, it's like telling the prophet to sit down in the medical conference and say, yeah, we understand about the black seed, but, um, You know, we have to refit all of our production line to incorporate this. So please, uh, Prophet, you sit down now, please. Uh, Not relevant. (laughs) Um, That's the attitude of the medical authorities now. All of these things are irrelevant. So, and this is in keeping with the scriptures. The scripture said, this is all going to be, everything's going to be turned upside down. The worst of you will become the leaders the best of you will become the lowest, OK? And the good will be considered evil, and evil will be considered good, OK? So this is what's happening now. And most people are falling into this mindset because they don't turn off their televisions. <laughs> they're listening to the mainstream news all the time. And they're believing their politicians and even even when they don't believe them they're willing to take a risk and say well maybe they're wrong maybe their fitra is misguiding them <laughs> and this is and this is because of the mind control from the mystery religion system you see i mean look i just described to you the mystery religion archetype in Dravidia. this goes back 10,000 years well She's standing in New York Harbor. It's still at work. It's still a system of mind control. That's what it is, dear sister. It's the same system, more sophisticated now, but it's the same system. They're still using the mother goddess. They're still using gigantism. And they're still using the, uh, you know, Uh, The the repetition of the lie. You just keep on repeating the lie. And then people begin to think it's true. So. No, it's it's escapism. And let me expound on that a little bit more, because people who are not. Following the significant light. They know something's wrong. And maybe because of this mind control or whatever the mechanism is, uh, they're they're not able to connect, reconnect with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but they still know something's wrong and they know that the earth is being destroyed and they want to get away. (laughs) Everybody wants to get away (coughs) to a place that they consider is uh, safe. And well, there's only there's only one place that's safe, and that is living in the will of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. There's no other place that's safe. You see, so even if you're in uh, an unsafe zone and under living under tyranny, even under those circumstances, the only safe place is Allah's will for you. You see then even under those circumstances, you have to find out what that will is and then act on it as best as you can, you see. And people who are not doing this want to get away and they will go to extraordinary means to escape. And there's also an element of the left-hand path elitist here. They also want to escape because some of them know what's coming. So they think, oh, well, earth is going to be destroyed so let's get let's get the out of here okay let's get out of here okay yeah you, know, you, you know this american expression hey i'm out of here man <laughs> yeah, they they want out okay some of them do some of them think they can crawl and in, crawl into their bunkers and uh, uh uh just sit there for the next three to five years until this whole chaos is over and uh, the stupid people stop killing each other because <laughs> that's probably what's going to happen okay and uh, then they think that they'll be able to come out and start all over again but their plans are always superseded by the plans of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and i don't know what those plans are and i don't think that anybody really does okay so i'm kind of excited just way, you know to see what it is that Allah is going to do with this thing. Because you know you, you know that saying that there's always a silver lining on the cloud. Well, Allah's silver lining is, is there someplace. We just can't see it now. <laughs> and uh, um, uh, <coughs> so that being said, it's just another form of escapism. And it's a fantasy, okay? And people enjoy fantasies. It's a way out of avoiding the realities of their daily life. And it's a way of avoiding the consequences of their evil deeds, or at least they think so, OK? So they say, OK, well, but it's not going to happen. Uh, there, there's a principle at work here. And uh, it's a spiritual law, law, law spiritual. It's a spiritual law. Um, Look, if you, you, you have to, sh- in order to advance along the path, the Dao, of the kingdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you have to take care of what you already have under your hand, okay? For example, if I'm, uh, if you're my CEO, and I'm in charge of a, a certain section of a production line, and I totally mess it up and I lose the line. I lose most of the employees and I, I, I waste your investment and I cause your profit margin to drop by about 70% that year. Are you going to advance me? <laughs> I don't think so. Well, Allah the same way. If we don't take care of the earth that he per- made perfectly, OK, I mean, this place is perfect. If we don't take care of this. He's not going to hand us another world to take care of. It's just not going to happen. So that's a delusion that these people think they can. It, it's a form of self-worship. They oh, I'm the man. I know how to do this. I have enough money. Let's just do it. <laughs> Nobody's consulting Allah. Nobody's consulting the scripture on this. Nobody's consulting the reality on the ground, except that they see it and they want to get away from it. <laughs> no, it's an illusion. It's a delusion, and these kind of people were probably brought up with, um, you know, these um, these uh, sci these sci-fi comic books, and you know, they 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 watched all these sci-fi movies when they were coming up, and. They, they just ah, oh, they love that kind of life. I mean, I'm I'm just like any other guy. I like to sit there and and watch the uh, alien uh, kill a few guys, and then uh, you know see the Terminator come on and get the better of him. <laughs> that's okay, but I realize that's a fantasy, you see. And some people think they realize it's a fantasy and still want to go and plan the Mars station, you see. <laughs> Well, there's some good that can come out of that, because when you when you when you apply yourself to those scientific principles, you're going to discover all sorts of things that might be useful still here on Earth. And many of the things that we now use on a regular daily basis have uh, derived. They derive from uh, the military uh, scientific establishment. Okay, Uh, and, uh, but the fact is that humankind cannot live on another planet, unless that planet is prepared specifically for them in this specific body. And the Quran makes it quite clear. I mean, Allah says it, look, he says, I can make a, a, a whole universe out of a whole new set of elements that you don't know anything about. I can give you new bodies from new substances that are unknown to you. I am Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not you. You see, I determine what happens. I am the judge. I am the king of the day of judgment. I determine the spiritual laws, not you. And I determine what the boundaries are. So this wanting to go to the moon or wanting to go to Mars to establish permanent bases a temporary base could probably be done, but a permanent base, if they want a permanent base, they're going to have to change the personnel every so often, frequently, because those circumstances go beyond the boundaries set by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for us here on earth. So they cross the boundaries. Once you cross the boundary, you have to take extraordinary measures to keep on fabricating something that otherwise is not necessary in the natural world, because that thing is unnatural. Mars is not a natural habitat for humankind. Neither is the moon. Now there may be other beings living there that we don't know about. There may be angels. There may be jinn. We don't know. But they have a different set of circumstances and a different set of boundaries that do not apply to us. And our boundary does not apply to them, Okay, They're different. So we have different parallel universes, different parallel dimensions. Different requirements in each universe, each dimension. Each is bound. So they want to cross the boundary without permission. (laughs) Well, they have a kind of tacit permission. You know, the permission is, well, go ahead and do it see what happens. (laughs) It's like the dad looking at his son, you know. He's not ready to drive the car or the tractor, <laughs> and uh, but he gives him the keys anyway because he knows what's going to happen, okay? And then the boy learns the lesson the hard way because he failed to listen to wisdom, to listen to the significant light. So it's okay. We learn by experience and we get back on track geez sorry dad (laughs) i'm not going to do that again Uh, uh, my legs aren't long enough (laughs) i can't reach the pedals (laughs) my arms aren't strong enough to turn the wheel you see so these kind of things uh, that's what it is we're not suited for that life okay more question yes
0: so is blood transfusion of the same blood type allowed to do?
1: <clears throat> oh, I don't know. Uh, you know, I haven't practiced medicine in years. Blood types, this is, this is a, a, a common practice now. Uh, and I don't think there's anything uh, extraordinarily unusual about it. Uh, if you have the wrong uh, blood type, of course, you're going to get a, a, a terrible reaction and can, the reaction can kill you. Uh, the same blood type is, 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 is okay. And there's a certain um, familial component which has to do with the source of the nations as Allah created us, you know, uh, from the beginning... And then, you know, but we're all created from Adam and Eve in some fashion that we don't fully comprehend. Um, So we all source back to Adam. So all of these blood types, different blood types, have their source in in Adam and uh, in Eve. But over the thousands of years, they have diversified and there's been an acclamation to this diversification that considers one blood type an enemy of the other blood type and the body will automatically respond respond to that whereas the similar blood type is is the same blood type is the the response is still there because there's there are some differences between individuals that one individual's uh, body will recognize the recipient the receiver can recognize that they're there's not their self, is not unique to themselves. But for the most part, let's say there's 97%, 98% complementarity. So their reaction is going to be um, uh, diminished. As to the legal ramifications, I don't know. It's, I'm not a Sharia expert. And I, I wouldn't want to entertain that because I, I think it runs off into realms where people begin to speculate uh, too much. Um, so, if it's a matter, if it's a matter of saving the life, for example, if my grandson were to lose blood and I would take him to the hospital, and uh, he needed transfusion, I'd get him the transfusion right away, and uh, I, I wouldn't even think about it twice, just to save his life. You see, and I don't care what any imam says. He's my grandson. And if he's in my care at the moment, I do the best that I can. And it's my decision. And whatever the consequences are, they fall on me. They don't fall on another man who's made a decision who says, I can't do it. You see? (laughs) So I'm not going to rely on someone else to decide for me what I will and will not do. And that's where I differ from many of the Alim. Okay. Because they want everybody to conform to a certain type of behavior. And that type of behavior has Arabinized Islam. You see? Now, I'm sitting here, for, do I look like an Arab? <laughs> Is there anything about me that looks like an Arab? No. No, not at all. But I'm still a Muslim, you see? And so I'm not going to have them dictate to me what I should do with regard to people who are given to me under my right hand, I will decide as Allah guides me in that moment. Well, that's my response to that sister.
0: How do you die before you die? And how do you do it specifically if you could answer that?
1: Mm. Uh, Well, you have to. I've done it, um, and this uh, this is a, a very good question, and it's not an easy one to answer, because uh, we all die. Although we all die, we die in different ways, but the end result is the same. We leave this body. Mm. We leave this uh, dimension. Now the prophet said, do that, (laughs) or at least imagine it before you actually do it, you see. And, well, when you die, what happens? Everything that you've had, everything that you think you own, and everybody that you love or think you love, none of that comes with you. You're on your own. And so the only things you take with you are your deeds, be they good or bad, you see. So you have to uh, imagine that. And one of the best ways to imagine that is to actually have it done to you. Uh, in real life. In other words, to, to lose everything that you have, that you think you've been standing on as your safety net. And this is what happened to the to the Muslims in the first generation. They lost everything that they had in Mecca and they had to leave. And they had to go and become a stranger in a strange land or in a place that was not their home and settle amongst people that were not their people, OK? Um, so in a sense, that was a kind of a death. Another kind of death is a, a divorce, OK? Uh, people, when they marry, they have an expectation. And this expectation uh, develops into certain imaginations. And to a certain extent, they some of these imaginations uh, become real. Uh, many do not, but whatever the real ones are, even they vanish when there's a divorce. It's a it's a kind of a death and people go through a, a, a mourning process after the divorce, even though they want one. So there's, there's still a mourning that takes place because it's like the death of a, it's a death of a loved one. It's a death of the desired imagination that you had. You see, when you, when you were so much in love, you see, (laughs) at the beginning. So this is another kind of a death process. The loss of a a loved one, you see, that's a death process. It's a death of that relationship. It doesn't exist anymore, not in this uh, dimension, okay? You have a memory of it, but the memory is not real. You can't touch them. You can't talk with them. Da, da, da. On occasion, maybe you meet something in a dream that may or may not be them. We don't know. Okay. Um, so you die before you die by imagining yourself buck naked in the grave with nothing except your deeds. And the scripture is very clear about that. That's all you take with you and if that is all you take with you it's best advised to make this basket of deeds <laughs> that you can't see <laughs> as big as possible and they better be good okay now there there's a there's another element to this because uh, there are some people who live their life in sin, and then they, they convert at the last moment, and they receive Allah's mercy. You see, we know that from the scripture. So we say, hey, <laughs> you don't want to be like the uh, prodigal son's brother and say, hey, that's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> that's just not fair. Well, who decides what fair? Not you. Allah decides what's fair, so that's the other part of this uh, equation. Yeah, you imagine yourself buck naked with as many good deeds as possible, but you also have to imagine waiting for Allah's decision, and that's how you die before you die. If you can't imagine that clearly. If you can't imagine that moment of silence, you see, that weight, then your your Islam is not real, you see? Not real, it's just an abstract idea. Make it real. That's my answer, sister.
0: What is your take on human cloning and gene splicing techniques used for animal multiplying? I heard they did this in the time of Nakh, alayhi salaam. Not sure about this.
1: I think they're toying with uh, holy ground and uh, they don't have permission. It's not that they can't do it. It certainly can be done. But they don't know what they're doing. They think they know what they're doing. Um, For example, let's look at this 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 mRNA virus vaccine that we're all confronted with right now. That's what's being done there. This is a vaccine that's been, this is a virus that's been designed in a military lab it started in Fort Detrick, it made, made its way to Wuhan. And uh, Fauci had a hand in that. And we know that from various experts who were on the team. So this is a military virus. It was made as a military vector to do damage. OK. And they did certain um, technique, gene splicing techniques and all this sort of thing to modify the DNA to modify the RNA. And now they're ready to inject this into every human being on the planet. Well, what does this mean? This means that this modified RNA that's never found naturally, that's been manufactured in some laboratory, is going to become a permanent part of the DNA of humankind from the moment that it is injected into all those bloodstreams. Now, what does the mRNA do? It enters into cells and infects those cells and then it turns those cells into a little factory that produces the, what they call the spike protein on the so-called coronavirus, which has never been isolated, by the way, And then it each cell that's infected by this mRNA begins to reproduce the spike protein. The problem is nobody's talking about how to turn it off. (laughs) So once that mRNA gets into our cells, it's going to start reproducing the spike protein endlessly endlessly. And these cells are going to reproduce themselves and reproduce more spike proteins, (coughs) generation after generation after generation. And nobody's talking about the consequences of that alone, let alone any of the other toxins that are in it. So these people are playing uh, with Kun fire Kun. They are playing with the, the word of God as it is manifest in the instructions that are used to form our fleshly being and to repair our fleshly being, okay? When you're cut, the instructions that repair that cut come from the DNA and it comes from the cells that are instructed by that DNA to produce the correct forms that heal the scar and reform the tissue that's been damaged. Okay, that's a miracle. Nobody's just (coughs) nobody's discussing how that's done. Instead, they're trying to mess right with the DNA. Nobody's trying to figure out how it is that the body heals itself. No, nobody's looking into the, the effect of uh, the so-called placebo effect. They're just di- dismissing it as if it's nothing. It's something. If I'm sick and you give me a pill that I believe is going to heal me and then I get better, how does that happen? You see, no one is, discuss- no one is examining this aspect. They're ignoring those manifestations of health and going right to the source and fiddling with it like some kid in his dad's basement. Okay? These scientists are children. They're naughty children. That's what they are. They should be smacked on the back of the hand and told to sit down until they grow up. (laughs) So I don't recommend it. I think I would call off all such research. If I were uh, the Genghis Khan emperor of the world right now, I would stop it all. I would destroy all those laboratories. I would have a moratorium until we understand the placebo effect and then proceed. (laughs) (laughs) And then proceed. And I think that the best proceeding after that is natural breeding, you see? In other words, the joining of bloodlines that are complementarity Rather than the forced marriages that are not complementarity, that are not complementary. Okay, something of that nature. I'd go. I'd go along in that thing. I, I would revisit Gregor, Gregor Mendel with his, uh, his, um, uh, uh, his 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 experiments on uh, growing better plants, and he did crossbreeding. You see. But he was not fiddling with the DNA because anything that crossbred was compatible already, you see, and formed better plants. And it taught him a whole lot about Kun Faya Kun. And the whole genetic stream of thought came from his uh, monastery cell and garden, whatever it was, that he, wherever it is he worked in, you see. So I would return back to the basics. People have run ahead, they're having a wild party. You know what happens with teens and young people when they are given certain permissions, and they go wild (laughs) and they damage themselves and they damage most people that come in contact with them And, um, and they live to regret it, okay? These scientists are like a bunch of teenagers, run wild. They're given millions and millions of dollars and they say, oh, what about this? What about that? Let's do this, let's do that. that, that, that." There's no moral or ethical consideration in what it is that they're doing. That is thrown out the window. It's a uh, post-modern concept. Morals and ethics are relative, you see. They, 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 well, that means they're not relevant. <laughs> and when you throw morals and ethics out the door, then you're, you're inviting harm, you're inviting harm. And I think all of this, uh, all of this gene splicing and whatnot is, in, is inviting harm to the environment and also to people who eat such food products, let alone take such vaccines. So I would forbid it. I would forbid it myself. And I'm a medical doctor. Okay. I have some understanding of this stuff.
0: Can the du'a of the Ummah change the decree of the eschatological events prophesized, or is that beyond our control? I feel like we are coming close to that time and it's like we can't do anything about it. 99, 90% of the Muslims are asleep or silenced.
1: I'm so I missed the first part of the question. The first uh, phrase. Sorry,
0: I said, can the dua of the Ummah change the decree of the eschatological events prophesized or is that beyond our control?
1: Uh, okay, geez, you know, I'm not so sure that I can, I'm qualified to answer that question. Um, the, beyond our control, you, you, we don't control anything except what's under our right hand and that by the mercy of Allah, you see. So now when I say, what does the right hand mean? The right hand means the righteous hand, okay? That's what it means. The left hand is the unrighteous hand, and so most of the Ummah is actually under the left hand now. This ninety percent just mentioned in that question, possibly probably more. Okay, so they've lost control. There's no; they are being controlled by the left hand path, and the left hand path is the is being the control of Iblis, and Iblis always uses. Uh, the left-hand path to control uh, religion, you see, and religion is used to control the minds and actions of men. Okay, that's what has been been done to. Uh, so if you're if you're not under the right-hand path, under the righteous hand, you're not allowing Allah to control the events through true guidance. Okay you got are you following me sister it your right hand the righteous hand is controlled by allah not you so allah provides the guidance and then you act okay he provides the sign and you act on those signs he provides the knowledge you act on that knowledge he provides the means you act on that means so when you run to allah he runs to you and he gives you what you need and he places it in your right hand and those under your right hand, they follow you. Okay, this is the divine order. If the ummah is under the left hand path, (laughs) well, there's no hope in in partial answer to that question. Okay, so um, there's also references, to in the scripture to uh, Allah makes it clear on a, a certain occasions that he removes the righteous okay from the judgment that is coming now he did this with the prophets he did this with um, uh, um, uh, certain of the prophets he did it with Lut. He, you know he did it with Noah and um Uh, There are other circumstances where he says, um, before I bring judgment, I will remove the righteous. I will remove the men and women of knowledge from you. Okay. And that is where the Ummah is right now. The men and women of knowledge are are being removed. And have been removed. Okay. Which is why 90% of the Ummah is under the left hand path is under the left hand of uh, uh, and they're mistaking this for the right hand because of ritual they think oh as long as i do the ritual i'm under the right hand no <laughs> we've already discussed the extent and the consequences of ignorance and compounded ignorance you see so uh you can do all the ritual you want it's not going to change anything those under the right hand path under the righteous hand they will either obey the prophet when possible or obey isa prophet said go and live like the bedouin well who's the bedouin the indigenous people of the land that's who the bedouin is if you go to the kalahari desert it's the tribes who live in the desert so the prophet said, go live like them. Any volunteers? <laughs> I don't think so. No one's prepared to do that. or very few people are prepared to do that. Isa said, go to the mountains. The prophet also said, go to the mountains when you see these things. Take your sheep, take your goats, whatever. Take them with you. Okay. Leave the cities leave the mystery religion centers of mass mind control. That's what they're saying, okay? So, you do that if you can. And the third option that happens on occasion is Allah divinely intervenes and protects people who can do neither? Run to the mountains or go live like the indigenous people, and yet are doing the best they can where they are. Okay. Who Allah does that for? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but I know it happens. Okay. We all know it happens because it says so in the Quran. Okay. So, those are you know that's what we're confronted with here now i also mentioned with uh, sheikh balak on some of my talks with him the malcolm x you see, option <laughs> and that is to be prepared to die like a soldier to be prepared to die like a true warrior okay rather than live on your knees that's also uh, a form of righteousness okay so i don't know what else to say there's no escape there is no escape from these options there is no umma there is no united umma i i edit papers and uh, from academics who are always talking about this wonderful islamization idea it's not going to happen there's no venue for it. And if it does happen, it's going to happen under very, very dire circumstances after most of the Muslims in the Middle East are killed. That's what the eschatology says. Okay. So it's not a pretty picture, no matter what, no matter from what angle you look at it. It's, it's just not a comfortable situation that we're in. No way, no how. So we have to rest our faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and do the best that we can to exercise this righteous hand. That's my only answer, sister. I, there is no solution that's going to satisfy everybody here. And that's what that's what people want. They want an easy they want an easy out they want a king like the jews want you see they want messiah messiac messiah to stand up and deliver them from their enemies they want someone else to do it <laughs> it's not going to happen that way and if it does if isa and mahati come like some of the narratives indicate it's not going to be a pretty sight it's not going to be a pretty day and those who survive are going to be few. Few. On both sides of the divide. The great divide. Okay.
0: How do we avoid the vaccine? Any
1: ideas? Say again? How do we avoid the vaccine? Oh. Well, you can... You can confront your doctor uh, by asking him if if there's uh, any known iatrogenic causes uh, from the injection of the vaccine. And he's going to have to say yes. <laughs> you see, iatrogenic means harm caused by the doctor. That's what it means. So. Uh, uh, if he says yes to that, then you have perfect opportunity to say, no, I'm not taking this. <laughs> and, or if you know what vaccine he wants to offer you, you ask him for the uh, packet insert and uh, read it with him right there <laughs> and read all of the side effects. And you'll come down and say, oh, autism, multiple sclerosis, uh, you know, all of these things. They're they're on the inserts, it's there. They're known side effects. And then the doctors say, oh, oh, but they're so rare. And then you can say, oh, can you guarantee that I'm not going to be one of those rare side effects? And he will have to say, no, I can't do that. Then no, I'm not taking this vaccine and I'm not allowing you to give it to my child. It's that simple. And you maintain the proper dialogue, you remain maintain the proper narrative in the proper moral ground. And yes, you will shame him. And you'll probably not want to be your doctor again. But in such shaming, you may cause him to wake up and repent. You see, this is part of the warrior mindset. It's what the stand your ground law is based on. (laughs) You see, Uh, but many people want to stand their ground in the wrong circumstances, the wrong place at the wrong time. (laughs) So that's my answer to that. There will come a day when the, you'll have to make a decision Whether you want to live in the green zone or join the Hunger Games people out in the hinterlands. And the hinterlands is where you will belong. Because the green zone will be the dividing line between the people of Allah and the people of Iblis. That's what it's coming to. Because this will demarcate the people, make it very clear. Because it's a fulfillment of scripture in the uh, book of Revelations. I forget what chapter. Uh, But it's very clear there. Uh, St. John the Divine uh, on the Isle of Patmos wrote it down 2,000 years ago. There will come a day when you cannot buy or sell without the mark of the beast. That's what this is. Very clear and simple. And uh, this mark, this vaccine, has some of the trappings of the markings. One of the patterns is 060606. Uh, That's the mark of the beast, you see. And uh, one of the components that uh, translates the, uh, the mRNA into proteins is called luciferase. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's, it's very clear. So there's no escape from this. You either need the Malcolm X option and be prepared to stand and die where you, when you stand and make your challenge. Don't challenge unless you're ready to pull the trigger. Just don't do it. Okay? Because so that's a worse outcome. Yeah. It's better that you're killed on the spot in a proper jihad. Uh, but people aren't prepared to do that and the reason they're not prepared to do that is there's no leadership. We talked about the kinds of men that are required for this. All of these men have been persuaded to work for the hand of Iblis to work for the left hand path. They're all in uniform saluting the flags. Saluting the flags of the mystery religions. Now, next uh, episode, we'll talk more about the mystery religions because these flags bear the marks of the mystery religions. So the men who have the character traits that would otherwise lead the righteous hand, you see, are saluting the flag of Iblis, saluting the flag of the mystery religions, stars and stripes. All these stars, they come. From the ancient Babylonian Ishtar cult. That's what it is. Standing on every masjid in the world now, just about. That's a whole different matter.
0: What is your insight on the so called portal in the holy in holy Jerusalem where Suleiman salam built his temple? Many believe that's the one entrance where the gates to other realms connect to. Why are the masons so obsessed with Dawood and Suleiman? And is that connected to when the occupants of the Tower of Babylon were or are shooting arrows into the sky?
1: Oh dear, that's a loaded question. And uh, I think we need to uh, take that up on our next session, dear sister, because That will require too much time to answer. I, I have I have some insight into that, not necessarily the portal in Jerusalem, but I have some insight into the um, uh, the so-called temple, and um, not just insight but historical uh, reality and um, spiritual reality. But it's very involved, and it's all part and parcel and central to the uh, dogma that guides the mystery religions okay so but uh, we'll have to approach that question uh on another session okay i think we've running two and a half hours here now so <laughs> and again i have to go relieve myself so <laughs> uh, uh, it's probably a good time to end dear sister
0: okay inshallah We'll get to the More. rest of the questions next time.
1: Okay, you, you, I'm, I'm happy to answer them, but uh, I think I've gone beyond my limit now today.
0: Okay, <laughs> well, thank you so much, Dr. Omar, for your time.
1: You're most welcome. wa rahmatullahi, wabarakatuh.
0: alaikum rahmatullahi, wabarakatuh.